0: Hey, everybody. I'm coming up on 400 episodes, which is a lot. Uh, And I hope you will come celebrate with me. I'm doing a special live program uh, at the Dynasty Typewriter Theater to celebrate 400 episodes. Let me tell you this. When I did 300, I did a live show. And to this day, I still feel guilty that it was like 16 white guys and two women and one person of color. And that's not great. Uh, And this was a couple years ago. So I'm trying to correct that with number 400 or at least apologize for it. But as it happens, I have the most amazing lineup of writers, including but not limited to Monica Breen, who's doing the Buffy remake, reboot. It's a remake. It's an extension of the brand. She put out a great uh, tweet about it, which you should go look for. Um, Alexandra Cunningham, who's doing the Dirty John TV show based on the hit podcast, uh, Carly Rae, who worked on Westworld and, uh, Mindhunter, which is a great show. And she also was doing one of these Game of Thrones spinoff, uh, for HBO, which who knows if that is happening. Um, who else? Angela Kang, who's the showrunner for The Walking Dead. Jenny Hutchison, who has been on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. And she's doing the Welcome to Night Vale series. If you listen to the uh, episode with Shernold Edwards- And Christine Boylan, Uh, both of them are going to be back uh, because that was such a great conversation. I wanted to talk more with them. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, It's going to be at the Dynasty Typewriter Theater on Sunday, the 26th of August. We're doing a double feature. We're doing my 400th episode at 6 p.m. And then at 8 p.m., my friend Matt Gorley is doing a live I Was There Too featuring some of the murder victims in Friday the 13th. Uh, As well as Paul Rust, uh, who is a big Friday the 13th fan. So that is on the 26th of August, Dynasty Typewriter Theater. Go to DynastyTypewriter.com or follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker for details.
1: Forever. Forever
0: fun episode today recorded at the ATX Television Festival. This one's called Bottle Episodes Uncorked. It's all about bottle episodes, which you would think, can they get an hour out of that? And boy, did we. There was a little bit of stretching, as, you, as you'll notice. Um, but the guests are amazing. We had Anthony Hemingway, who's the director for Underground, among many other shows. Michael Jacobs, the creator of Boy Meets World and Girl Meets World, John Wirth, who was the showrunner of Hell on Wheels, and Kevin Falls, who was a writer on The West Wing, among other shows. Before we get to today's episode, we have a terrific conversation with Maggie Friedman. Maggie is the creator of Eastwick and of The Witches of East End. You'll notice that both of these are about witches, and so is our conversation Maggie is very thoughtful about what it means to be a witch. She has some witch DNA, for sure. Uh, And it's a fun conversation uh, about creating witches for her shows. It's a, a thing she keeps going back to, this idea of powerful women. And she is one herself. So please enjoy this conversation with Maggie Friedman. I'm talking with Maggie Friedman. Maggie, thank you for speaking with me today.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, Maggie, for those who don't know, is a television writer who's worked on everything, like (laughs) Once and Again, Dawson's Creek, Jack and Bobby, which I know is a show people love, Um, but specific to our conversation, you're the creator of Eastwick, uh, which ran for one season, and Witches of East End, uh, which ran for two. Yep. Um, So let's get into Witches. I'm really curious to hear... Uh, For both of these shows, first of all, going into them, you know, you you sort of, I imagine now you're the go-to witch person. Uh, Why why were you the witch person at the time of these shows?
2: Um, Well, at at the time, uh, right before I started Eastwick... Um, I, I was, I was doing a pilot for Warner brothers and Susan Rovner, who's one of the executives there, she and I used to talk, we sort of bonded over our love of, of witches. And, and it was always my dream to write a show about witches. I remember I was, I was in film school when the show charmed came on Mm -hmm. and, and I remember thinking, Oh no, now I'm not going to be able to create, (laughs) you know, my modern witch show, which of course wasn't true, but so um Susan and I used to used to talk about how much we love witches and she they Warner brothers had the rights uh to The Witches of Eastwick which was a movie I loved as a kid and um so uh, you know I read the book and and started to develop the series mm-hmm. yeah. And I you know yeah.
0: That that's interesting. I mean Witches of Eastwick the first of all that movie's not for kids Maggie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're right it's not. but you know it was the 80s so sure. it was it was a lot more free-range parenting then
0: <laughs> right absolutely <laughs> um and the movie is so different to the book too so what was your what Very was your way different. into this
2: well you know i think i sort of chose a third path because mm-hmm. um you know it i i wanted to modernize it um it, it, you know, the the book did, you know, there was a lot that I took from the book and there was some stuff that was, that was more akin to the movie, but I wanted to sort of create my own world and, and, and sort of put my stamp on it while keeping, uh, you know, the spirit of the original alive.
0: Yeah. I think that makes yeah. a lot of sense. And, and it sort of leads me to the question I'm really curious about for both Eastwick and Witches of East End, which is like coming up with the rules of magic in these worlds and Uh the the legacy of your witch characters, because that seems like that's an important thing, especially in East End. Uh, But let's first talk about finding your way in defining what magic is and how these women use magic.
2: Yeah, that's always a big part of the planning for a show, and and I think one of the reasons why I was attracted to Witches of East End was I knew that I would do it very differently. Eastwick, the parameters of the magic were, were very specific. And it was a little bit more, um, oh, this there could be a natural explanation or it's a little bit more magical realism. And I wanted to then for my next witch project, explore (laughs) something a little bit more, a little bit more like classically magical genre. Mm -hmm. Um, And we spent a lot of time in the writer's room kind of making sure we had all the rules straight and um, really talking about what are the, you know, what, what are the powers that are specific to each woman and what are these, we had spell books, we had, you know, I recently found I was actually cleaning out my basement and I found, you know, binders full of like, you know, the spells from witches of East end and and making sure, you know, you have to, because the fans, they know. And when you, when you break your own rules, you know, that's, You lose them. So,
0: yeah, yeah. it's true. You have to set them up so that you can follow them. And I think, I don't know, you tell me do you as a writer find it helpful to have those parameters once you're in it?
2: Yes, but you want to make sure that you don't paint yourself into a corner too much. Because the show has to be free to evolve, and the characters have to be free to evolve, so you have to walk that line where where you you want it to feel like a coherent world that existed before the show started and will exist after it's over. Um, so you doesn't you don't want it to feel willy nilly, but at the same time you have to give yourself room to discover things and let the characters grow. Mm-hmm. So sometimes if if you make too many rules, um, then then you know, you're painted into a corner.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's a great way to put it, right? You have to leave yourself a little wiggle room, but yes, and also having those parameters creates drama, uh, which exactly.
2: is exactly that is true.
0: When yes. you're doing, you know, twenty twenty five episodes of a show, you yeah. want you need that.
2: If there's no limits on what they can do, and if new things are just constantly coming up, then it just feels it, it the the conflict all goes away. Yes, so absolutely. yeah.
0: Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on, you know, i I eastwick, um both the movie and your show was so much about these women being victims and uh, having power or finding power,
2: right. Um,
0: and yes. I feel like that's, you know, that is core to the witch trope. yeah, um, can can you talk a little bit about that for both series and where the power for these women came from?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, with Well, with Eastwick, it's definitely these women who feel stuck in their lives, um, who feel a little bit stifled in their small town, people judging them. They don't know how to get out of their ruts. And when they discover their powers, that's how they kind of come into their own. Um, And it was a little different with with Witches of East End. That was, I think they, I wouldn't say they were victims. But they, I mean, they had their struggles and they had had a history of persecution. These were witches who had been around for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. And they kept, part of the series, you know, lore is that they keep getting reborn. And they've, you know, they've been burned at the stake. They've been hunted down. But they keep, you know, rising from the ashes and gaining more strength. Um, So I I love the the witch genre as, yes, it's a metaphor for some of the the troubles that women suffer under patriarchy, but it's also about empowerment. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. And the other the other piece of it, which I'm finding really fun in this comic that I'm working on is like. The witch tropes are not so set as they are for like vampire tropes.
3: So true. Um, yes. So,
0: what was the stuff that you got to play with and sort of find your own twist on? Do you remember?
2: Um, oh boy, that's a good question. Well, I I mean, with with witches, witches of East End is a little more fresh in my mind, mm-hmm. and I think you know what what I loved was that each of okay like for example with vampires like you said they they all have kind of the same gifts and they all and and it, and it's usually pretty much the same stuff from from project to project but but with this i felt like we could create powers for each character that were kind of based in their character traits yeah so um you know freya who was Jenna Dewan's character? She um, she's a bartender and she's very emotional and loving and she creates drinks that make people feel things and sometimes fall in love or, um, you know, come out of a depression. And Ingrid, who's Rachel Boston's character, you know, she's a librarian and she's very logical and bookish. And she was like a master with with spells and with things that were, you know, written knowledge. So Mm -hmm. I, I liked being able to play with how how, you know, each woman was so unique and her powers reflected that.
0: Yeah, I love that about the show. And I think and it feels like a thing that sort of Charmed got to do. And I know the new the Charmed yeah. reboot is doing some some of that. But the power is coming out of personality. Is yeah, such a fun trope. And you're also playing with sort of right, like which potion tropes and which spell uh-huh. tropes. And, and so that kind fun. Of thing. Yeah, that's so really fun. cool. Um, Let me ask you, Maggie, who are some of your favorite pop culture witches?
2: Well, when I was growing up... Um, when I would be sick, home from school, sick, I would the, in the middle of the day in Philadelphia they would play reruns of Bewitched, uh-huh. and so <laughs> Samantha was like she was my jam, right. um, and and I just I just loved her so much, and she really inspired me. What so, was it?
0: What was it? Because I look for me as a kid, I had a crush on Elizabeth Montgomery that right? that pretty got pretty much got me <laughs> in. What was it for you? uh that you just responded to I thought
2: she was so cool. Right? I just loved <laughs> how powerful she was and how smart she was and yeah like she was always getting into jams but she would solve it, you yeah. know? And I just thought she was the coolest. <laughs> And of course, I love, you know, the Witches of Eastwick. And I love all my witches from the shows I've worked on. They're, you know, they're very close to my heart.
0: You had some great witches and you had some, you know, terrific actresses playing those witches. So good.
2: Yes, love Um, them.
0: That must have been very satisfying. Uh, Where can people find you on social media?
2: Um, I, I, am on Twitter, although I, I, haven't tweeted in a while, uh, but, but I'm sure I'll get back on there shortly. And, um, I'm on Instagram too.
0: Okay. What's your name on Instagram?
2: Uh, it's Maggie Marie F. I think, but yeah, I think if you type in Maggie Friedman, okay. you'll find it.
0: Good. And people should follow you because yeah. you're doing some cool stuff that you can't talk about yet, but I can't talk about it yet.
2: Cause it's, <laughs> it's still, yeah, but, um, I'm excited.
0: Cool. Well, congratulations yeah. and good luck with everything. And thank you so much for taking the time to chat.
2: Thank you. It was fun.
0: Now is the time for you to call up your local comic book shop and pre-order the only thing I care about, my new Vertigo comic called Hexwives. It's about witches and it's about gender politics. Does that sound fun? Probably not, but it is. The artist is amazing. The colorist is amazing. The editors are unbelievable. Uh, I'm just hanging on for dear life and hoping that people buy this so I can tell dozens and dozens of stories in this world. So please call up your local comic book shop. If you don't know where it is, go to comicshoplocator.com, put in your zip code and uh, order that comic Hexwives. It comes out on Halloween. You just tell them you want it. They'll hold a copy for you. And then you go to the store and buy it. It's easy. It's like $4. And I think you're going to like it. I do.
4: They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight,
0: tonight, tonight or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker. And it's
2: starting now. Oh, yeah.
0: If you are unfamiliar with the bottle episode, it is, as I said, generally a cost-saving device uh, in which the episode takes place Mostly or ideally entirely in one location or on standing sets using just the regular cast. Um, Some of my favorite bottle episodes with which you might be familiar is the episode of Friends called The One Where No One's Ready. Right? Do you remember that one? It's the one where no one's ready. Um, It's the one. (laughs) My favorite, one of my favorite jokes of all time is in that episode (laughs) where... You know, Joey and Chandler are fighting for the chair. (laughs) And Joey puts on all of Chandler's clothes, (laughs) because that's the opposite. (laughs) It's not opposite. (laughs) It's it's very funny. Um, The episode of Breaking Bad called Fly, remember that? Uh, That all took place in the uh, meth lab. Uh, It was a great episode. And it almost doesn't feel like a bottle up. Like, you almost don't feel like it doesn't go outside. Uh, except it doesn't. it was directed by Ryan Johnson, who made the Star Wars movie that is arguably the best Star Wars movie. I won't hear otherwise. (laughs) Yeah. Please welcome all of our guests. He is a director. He directed a bottle episode of The People vs. OJ. He's also worked on American Crime Story, Underground, Empire, Orange is the New Black, Power, Atreme, and others. Please welcome Anthony Hemingway. Please welcome the creator of Boy Meets World, Girl Meets World. He's done a bunch of bottle episodes, including Heartbreak Corey, Michael Jacobs. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I <just started> <laughs> <Nice>.
0: <laughs> Please welcome our friend, uh, friend of the fest, sports night, West Wing, journeyman, the resident, most recently, Kevin Falls. And finally, he has worked on Nash Bridges, The Terminator, The Saracona Chronicles, Hell on Wheels, Happen Leonard, and many other shows. Please welcome John Worth. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you for being here. Um, I said I wanted to jump off by talking to uh, you, Michael, about the multicam approach to a bottle episode. You know, a multicam sitcom doesn't often go outside. Uh, but there are practical reasons to do a bottle episode, and you've done a couple of them. Can you talk a little bit about that?
4: Sure. Uh, My very early experience with a bottle episode was when I was doing a show called My Two Dads. Mm -hmm. The president of TriStar, uh, I think it was their only show on the air, and they they were a new company basically at that point doing situation comedy, Mm -hmm. came to me and said, we want you to do a bottle episode because we want you to save budget. And... I said we're we're under budget now, and <laughs> he said uh, we want a bottle episode, so it's no extra sets, no extra cast, and uh, we wrote the show. And I don't know, it's just 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 my I'm going to resist anything anybody ever tells. <laughs> I added one little tiny swing set, and it was it's what's called a three wall swing, which means it's just an anteroom. It would cost about $7,500 to do the whole set. And they read the script. And he comes to me, and he says, no, we wanted a bottle. Lip. I said, the show, including the $7,500 set, will come in under budget. Isn't that what you want? And he said, no, we want you to write a bottle up. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, well, if you want the set, we'll trade you for your term writer. What? And I said, well, let me understand this. You, you, you want me to give up my term writer. Yeah, he's getting $7,500 a week. And, and I said, OK, I, I have a counterproposal. I'm going to keep the term writer. I'm going to do the episode with the swing set. Cancel the show. And, and he went away. The term writer oh, was Chuck Lorre. <laughs> Um, I, 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 so, so my, my indoctrination to, to bottle episodes was a negative one. Yeah. However, here's the interesting thing. Left to my own devices, I believe that television, theater, is a bench and a fake tree and a guy that comes out and says, I've been to the zoo. And, and, and so the, 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 the fact is, your best episodes of television won't be the ones when, when they throw cannons at you. They'll be the ones when the characters get together and speak about something compelling and riveting. And, and that's a natural bottle episode. Girl Meets World, I stuck these two girls in a bay window. And anything that happened, they spoke about it. It, it, was, it was completely a bottle show.
0: I'm going to turn it over to the rest of the panel. Now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Anthony, let's pick up with you. Uh, having directed a bottle episode and having directed hundreds of hours of television, um, what are the challenges specific to a bottle?
5: Well, it's interesting because on Underground, which is the one that I think is the most uh defined as you would call a bottle episode, mm-hmm. we didn't intentionally do it as a bottle episode oh, yeah. in the show as itself as a whole um you know with iconic legends as Harriet Tubman, you know we wanted to give stage to her to really kind of elucidate her life mm-hmm. and so uh Joe and Misha, the creator writers of the show. Designed this episode of giving Harriet a TED talk. You know, we call it Tub Talk. She did her own Tub Talk. <laughs> um, and so That's it great. was an entire episode where we had to shoot it in three days. And this was because, you know, the show required what it required. And we got to do this episode. And I think the studio probably looked at it like a bottle episode. They were like, so you don't need much time. But they didn't realize, you know, the challenges that would come to it. And, and so it was challenging. It was very, it was daunting and scary. Only because, you know, one actor, one room, mm-hmm. doing an entire episode, she talked from start to finish. Um, and it was something that we all learned from, really. And it was really exciting. And, and just the, the ability to peel the layers of who and the humanity of Harriet you know, was and who she is was so exciting and, and exhilarating. Aisha Hines, who played her, beasted it out. It was amazing. Um, and And it was just fun to do it. I think just the idea of trying to figure out how to, um, you know, sustain a visual experience, yeah. the audience throughout the entire episode of just nothing but talking when we're in a day and age of we need bells and whistles to keep the excitement and, and attention, you know. And that was the challenge that we all were really excited about, you know, from mm-hmm. script to screen. It was just a fun exploration and an experience.
0: It sounds like on in an experience like that, which is, I mean, that's an amazing hour of television that like it starts with the writer, right? Like, you have to give this character interesting things to say to compel the audience to keep watching. And then it goes to the actor, who you have to cast someone like Aisha, who's, who is a powerhouse. But then it feels like your job is like, how do I not mess this up? How do I keep them engaged? I was sweating. I, I, honest, <laughs> I kid you not.
5: As confident as I am in my everyday walk of life, I was nervous. Because it's the so thing, what, again, you think about, you're like, OK, what am I going to do for one hour of television mm-hmm. and make this exciting? You know, the first thing I had to learn was to get out of the way. You know, and not let it be about me and what I wanted to do. It's how I really start from everything, which is the psychology of what the character is, the narrative, and what really needs to be told. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, the visual treatment and, ex- and and experience there really comes from just elevating the, the material and trying to re- figure out a visual experience that tells a story. Mm-hmm. So, to try to figure out the setting for that was the first challenge. Oh. You know, and just trying to figure out a place where, again, you're in one hour, you want it to be visually ex- interesting, mm-hmm. um, but also tell a story and so trying to think of that time and period where she would have done it but also be vulnerable because she was you know wanting they, they were looking to capture her mm-hmm. um, and so she was doing public speaking at this time this is some of the research that they found and it was just the ability to try to, to imagine what that was and what it was like um, so that was fun have an amazing production designer and and DP that um, we all really are. We think alike. We're kindred in spirit in a way of really just continuing each other's sentences. And so that was the first thing of trying to figure out what the setting was, um, and then figuring out how do we then just even visually tell this story. So lighting um, a, a standpoint, it was just trying to start it, you know, give it a a, a, a beautiful. Day in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So you feel throughout each act the sun setting. You know, and you just feel the clock ticking as you watch Mm -hmm. it and just feeling the pressure of she's, uh, you know, about to be captured. Someone at any point could come in. Mm And blow this whole spot up. Um, so that was just fun, trying to really figure out how to make it, it, it interesting. I'm like, oh, well, I can't come through the floor. That makes no sense. You know, <laughs> if I, we fly through here with the drone, not nah, that's silly. You know, it's just those things yeah. where I had to really kind of re- re- surrender and yeah. really just kind of continue to just be inspired by what, what the story was, what the character was feeling, and trying to figure out how I could approach it in that.
0: That that's sense. really neat. And it, I imagine, uh, I would ask all, this of all of you, in an episode like this, where it is contained, um, the big trick is ratcheting up the tension, yeah. right? And you did that by having it over the course of the day, by having people coming for um, You know, Ideally, you're getting compelling characters with a history with each other, sort of bumping into each other. And that's where the tension comes from. Uh, before we get to your experiences with bottles, I want to ask you guys, John Worth, uh, What are some of your favorite bottle episodes?
1: The concept of bottle episodes is so traumatic for me, I try not to think about it really too much. (laughs) Why is that? (laughs) Um, uh, You know, I have to say that um, I think what you're saying about, you know, creating a dramatic situation and um, in a bottle episode when you're sort of uh, forced to make one because... I'm doing that thing now where I get asked a question like a politician, but I don't answer it. I say something else. Um, I don't Um, know is the answer to your first question.
0: (laughs) While you think about that answer, I'm going to ask you to put your phone away. Uh, I'm going to ask all of you to put your phone away. Usually that's part of the introduction, but just be here and enjoy it. Everything's being recorded. You'll get it later. Don't worry about it. Yeah, come on, really. (laughs) John,
1: please continue. Um, Anyway, um, you know, the thing that drives bottle episodes is money. I mean, um, Mm -hmm. people that... That pay to make television shows don't want to spend enough money to make a television show, or they don't really want to spend the money it costs to make a television show, or give you the time that you need to make a television show. <laughs> so we're all sort of working um, against those two, you know, terrible um, realities. And eventually, in the course of making a number of episodes, you get to a point where you've got to save some money. So um, these guys are right in that you you want to create a, a situation that's as compelling as you can make it. And uh, I'll just talk about one uh, bottle show that I wrote for the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Um, It actually starred Richard Schiff. um, And the concept there was, um, you know, the concept for a bottle show, as you know, everybody knows what that is, right? You're using your your home sets, and you're using your cast, and you're trying not to bring in too many other people or elements that are going to crank up the, the cost of the show. So um, on Sarah Connor Chronicles, we um, decided to have our characters grab a guy that was um, a watchmaker and throw him in a shipping container (laughs) and then uh, accuse him of being somebody from the future. And so we, and that's a pretty, you know, intense conversation to have and you need somebody uh, an actor of the caliber of Richard Schiff to really pull that off and make that scenario compelling. Um, uh, and he really held the screen. I mean, I watched it the other night in anticipation of this, so I could say that's my favorite bottle episode. Um, <laughs> it really
0: was a great episode.
1: I remember and, that um, And the twist on that thing was um, when we discovered very late in the episode-breaking process, we were trying to figure out what the show was, Um, The twist was we would bring in Richard Schiff's character as a younger man and sit him down in front of him and then have them sort of confront each other as the older self and the younger self. It was really riveting. I was surprised in watching it the other night how good it was and that my name was on it. I'm sure somebody else wrote it, but they need to put my name on it. Um, So um, yeah, that's it.
0: On the, some of these other shows you've worked on, uh, I'm thinking uh, specifically of, of like Hell on Wheels. Uh, and even early on on Nash Bridges, I know these were shows that really liked to be outside. Yeah, uh, Was there pushback from studio, from network, to sort of c- do a contained
1: episode? Yeah. I mean, there there's always pushback. Um, and you're always. You're, you're always going bigger or smaller on some of these big outdoor shows mm-hmm. you know um I worked on um I did a season as a consultant on falling skies mm-hmm. and uh as soon as I got there they said hey worth we need a bottle episode <laughs> I, like, well, I just got here what do you come on so um that was a that was a show about alien invasion you know so I thought what who's gonna be interested in a bottle show with no aliens so I uh, conceived this idea where I would put people in foxholes, and I figured, you know, we can have one foxhole, and we can shuttle people in and out of this foxhole, Um, and then we can have something dramatic happen in the foxhole. And it was just as you guys were talking about, Um, you know, the conversation has to be deep. It has to be between characters that know each other. In this case, um, I had a sniper shoot it at a character. I actually got to kill off a regular character on that show. (laughs) Um, called Crazy Lee. And um, I think the producers were mad at the actor. I I think that's what was driving that one. But um, anyway, she- You would think you're safe in a bottle episode. You (laughs) would think you're safe, yeah, but no. Um, So what I did was uh, I have a sniper shoot at her, and um, she has a a bulletproof vest on, which is actually a a snow tire uh, cut up Mm -hmm. into a vest. But she falls down on a piece of rebar that goes through her head. (laughs) And uh, so she's <laughs> stuck in the foxhole. That was another thing like, why don't they just get the hell out of there? Well, yeah. she can't move. She got rebar in her head.
0: Well, that's part of the challenge of these things. right? Yeah, you have and to you, answer so you're thinking questions.
1: about those elements, you know, what can you do to keep people <laughs> right. in in place and then, you know, tell some some drama. Yeah. So
0: um, this, this idea of having to know the characters, um, Kevin, you've worked on... Shows where we get to know and love the characters, uh, which have wound up with really terrific bottle episodes. I mean, someone mentioned 17 people. Um, what has been your experience, uh, whether it was in the writer's room or having scripted one of these yourself?
3: Well, it was 17 people. Um, there was the usual budget issues at the end of the year. On, on that show, we were over budget. But, Aaron, Sorkin never needed a reason to write a bottle. I mean, he was a yeah. playwright. He loved it. He loved <laughs> when someone said you have to have this take place. And most of the show, anyway, was in the West Wing, right? But this one we couldn't go out for a couple of days. And he relished that. Hmm. And but I think at the core, thinking what John was just saying, that what makes some of these bottles great is you in order to do a show that's set in on just your sets, you probably need at the center some emotional mm-hmm. gravitas and stakes that ratchets the tension. Um, not to mention actors like Richard Schiff that can then can pull off the great writing of somebody like Aaron Sorkin. So um, that you know, just flashed on something, and I completely forgot about it. That's a that I consider a bottle, but n- does not fit the parameters of a bottle mm-hmm. that we do that you usually think of a bottle. I ran a show called Minority Report a couple years ago. And of course, that was set 50 years in the future. And it was a very expensive show, a ton of visual effects as you you would imagine. And and we were so over budget. We thought, how do we not deliver the VFX and these cool sets of 50 years in the future? And so we came up with the idea of going to this, actually the island where those precogs once lived, Mm -hmm. where there was no... No electricity they they were all Luddites, they wanted to live like that they, they d- just trusted things like Facebook, who knew, and all these other um, things that we came with with the future and so we we parked the trucks for 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 eight days, shot on location which factored out to be less money, because we didn't have any visual effects, except for something at the beginning. Oh, wow! Uh, that, was, that was it. And we saved money by doing a bottle not on our sets.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, there is something to avoiding the company moves, avoiding yeah. new sets, right? right? That's neat. Um, I'm curious to hear if any of you have recollection of uh, bottle episodes that got away uh, from a room you were running, from a room that you were in, ideas for these things that didn't, either didn't pan out as planned. I was, in doing this research, I read about the Breaking Bad episode, Four Days Out, which they had intended, which was the second season episode for you guys, uh, if you recall, where it was supposed to take place entirely in the the trailer, in the Meth Lab trailer. But they wound up having to do so many exterior scenes that it wound up being more expensive than a regular episode. (laughs) Um, They were still a new show. Um, But whether it was... In you know the the practical reason it didn't go right like that, or whether it just didn't work uh, creatively, uh, do you do you guys recall anything like that? Conversations that happened in the room, or episodes that were worked on uh, that didn't quite come out as planned?
4: Well, I I you know being the half hour guy here, I I, um, I agree with Kevin completely. I mean to to be able to have a, a writer and I suppose there's a playwright as well, to be able to live with your characters alone and not be constrained by what is our block scene, what is our... Because that's awful. Those are inauthentic, those are artificial constraints, whereas the... the, um, any time I was told, to answer your question, mm-hmm. anytime time I was asked to do a bottle episode, I said, let's go on location. <laughs> so they all got away. But but, the, <laughs> but, but the, the, the thing that you guys will be interested in is if you, you love television, which is why we're all here, if, if you think, and again, I'll, I'll stay on half hours, some of the greatest moments on any half hour <clears throat> are with the characters riveting you to them. Jerry and Elaine on a couch Mm -hmm. negotiating their one night stand, (laughs) if you remember that episode. And that went on for 10 minutes. And it could have gone on another 20 minutes. I cared less about the predictable outcome of, you know, yes, if you're going to have sex with a friend, you are going to have a relationship in spite of promising yourself contractually not to. All of that predictable and lovely the way it was done. But that scene on that couch. Or when, uh, um, I'm just going to the iconic shows, uh, Archie Bunker and, 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 and uh, Meathead were trapped in an yeah. underground cellar. They were, in a, they were in a storm cellar. And there was a bottle of vodka there. And so Archie and Mike uh, uh, spoke about everything that they were opposed to and for and found they had common ground. And the very end of the episode was Archie, completely drunk, on his knees, praying to be saved. Lord God, if you'll only save me. And the storm cellar opens, and it's an African-American standing there, (laughs) backlit by the sun. And Archie Bunker ends the episode by saying... The Jeffersons was right. And and so my feeling is that these bottle episodes, where you get to love the characters more, launch you into the better series anyway, because it's the characters you love. It's the situations that genuinely sometimes can be authentic or artificial, but knowing the characters is why you come back next week.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to ask, Anthony, you worked on uh, People vs. O.J. (laughs) which you didn't get that luxury of having characters that you already knew like you, it was such an outlier episode this jury episode how do you tackle that what was what kind of went into that episode
5: that was another one where it was like what are we going to do with it it was such a departure from kind of yeah. the whole series really and what we're going to do it was a way to really kind of bring some levity to the show uh, mm-hmm. give us a break and some uh, relief from just the 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 monotony of being in court and all that stuff and really kind of allowing it to to let the viewers partake in mm-hmm. the experience you know because the jury really spoke for I think just any person really Paying attention to the to to the series or just the case, you know, in a whole. So it was a an an, an ability to really kind of bring commentary into it, Um, and that was fun because we had so many personalities that were involved. You could see who could deal with the pressure, who couldn't, Um, and it definitely wasn't a battle episode, but it was (laughs) contained within, you know, character sense.
0: Um, But it was also characters we hadn't really lived with before, which is a huge challenge.
5: Yeah. Um, and that was fun, only because like it it, it required us to really dig and, and find the research of who which you're not really supposed to know who the jury the jury right. the jury is personally. You know, it's it's breaking the code. <laughs> um, but that was the fun part of just getting some personality into it, and it was uh, it was just fun because it became a lot more uh, just humorous, and we got to really dive into just what. Any person would feel and think and yeah. paying attention to that. You could
0: case. change the tone a little yeah. bit. Are you, as the director of an individual episode like that, involved with the casting of those like yes. juror characters, which are pretty major characters? Yeah, I
5: was the producing director on the oh. show, um, season one. And I actually had the episode where we were doing the voir dire and everything oh, and, and so. actually doing jury selection. So I was part of helping... Bring them in.
0: Gotcha. And so you knew this was coming too, so you had to get people who were more than just like yes. the good wife juries who yeah. just sit there. Which
5: is hard because you want good talent, you want good actors, you yeah. know, that can deliver what you know is coming, but then you get, depending on what level of actor you're asking, to sit there all nine other episodes and just yeah. do nothing. <laughs> you know, and so that was a challenge of getting them to come and, and just still be alive and, and, and a part of the experience.
3: Uh, ben, yeah. I wrote a, I just reminded me, Anthony, I wrote it, I, I co-wrote an episode, no, I think I co-wrote an episode of Franklin Vash, which is a show I created mm-hmm. with my partner, Bill Chase, who's a lawyer, and he said that when he picked juries, that he knew he was going to win the case based on his jury. And I thought, that's, even, be- <laughs> so even before the, the trial starts, yeah. he knows he's won. I thought, that's fascinating. So we got to do that. We had to do a bottle, I wrote the bottle. It sucked. I looked at it recently because I thought, God, was that oh, good? No. I remember it was like John Landis directed it. And it was like, John Landis was like pissed. Like, here I am, I'm coming to the show. Where, back in the day where it was probably a little bit more of a scale a show you wouldn't right now. And then this is the show I get. And I, I apologize to the co creator. <laughs> I couldn't figure out what the hell it
0: meant. <laughs> Save money though <laughs> sure <laughs> you, d- you did the job. Uh, do you guys have questions for these folks up here? I want to make sure we get to your question that's a good question. Have you accidentally created a bottle episode where the story evolved to just not leave the room yeah I when i 'm not told to
4: I, I, <laughs> it is my proclivity to make them place and and for me to to put to put to put the characters on a set, and to let them speak. So when we did Girl Meets World, which was the the spin-off of Boy Meets World, um, I wanted these two young ladies to come of age together in a window. And everything that happened on the show, the next scene, would be their reactions to whether it was, do we actually love this boy? Do 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 the things we are learning in the classroom pertain to us now, or is history old and dusty? What what are we? And the best parts of the show were in the window, so the window started to take over the show, and and as the audience grew, it told us that yes, as I suspected, That's let's do it simply.
0: That's really cool.
4: Yeah,
1: yeah, um, yeah. You know, uh, It occurs to me just as I'm listening to these gentlemen talk that in the sitcom world, I I think you you know the characters are so important and who you cast in those roles. And if you strike gold and you get the right people playing, you know Archie and Meathead for example, or anybody on that show really, Um, or even you know Boy Meets World. you can invest in those characters. And people will want to see those characters just sitting up here on a stage. You don't have to do anything. Just talk to a microphone will watch you. Careful. <laughs> um, it occurs to me that in most of the, the drama television that I work on, the concept of the show um, is, is oftentimes bigger than the characters. And a lot of times in a writer's room, I think, to our discredit maybe, perhaps, we don't have as much faith in our characters or maybe our actors to hold you in those seats while you're watching four guys on a stage in chairs. And so we want to balloon it out, Hmm. you know, and give the audience something that they're going to stay with conceptually that um, on a story level is outside of digging deeper into characters and i think what drives our bottle shows that i've been involved with by the way the fly is the mm. answer to, um, <laughs> i had one cup you of got coffee to today but <laughs> two um so um you know the the bottle shows that that i've been involved with working on i'm always trying to think what is the concept mm-hmm. you know on nash bridges for example we had um they were cops, and there was an interrogation scene in every episode. And Don Johnson would call me up and say, Bubba, you know, I need a fucking, oh, pardon me. I need a, that was it's a him. direct quote, yeah. yeah. I need a, here's the PG version of what he would say I need a concept for those interrogation scenes. And so you couldn't just have him, he, he and Cheech sitting there asking questions no. of, a, of a bad guy. There had to be a concept, and this probably would have been right up your alley because you know, three guys or four people sitting in a room. What's the concept for them being in the room? Um, And that was really challenging for us to sort of come up with a concept. And it could have been as simple as the the perp has to go to the bathroom, and so Cheech is pouring water and you know drinking, (laughs) and "Mm, this is really you know just that small thing opened up a lot of avenues for dialogue and character study and that sort of stuff. But um, the it's just the concept, I think, yeah. for me, is what sort of drives a Bottle show versus um, delving into character. Yeah, well,
0: again, you bring up something that I wanted to talk about, which is, um, in, again, in looking at sort of classic Bottle episodes, uh, The Shield did uh, famously a 90-minute interrogation uh, which really which played those games, right? You're watching a one
1: act play, but you have to find that That's concept. That's because Sean was on Nash Bridges, and he learned, he learned the <laughs> he lesson. Learned. As Chief said, some people learn the hard way, others the hardest way. <laughs> and we learned a lot of lessons the hardest way in that show.
0: And we'll get to that at 3 o'clock uh, over in, I think it's at the uh, hotel we'll talk about Nash Bridges. Um, but And Kevin, you've worked on you know cop-ish shows and hospital shows, and ER did a couple of famous bottle episodes, Love's Labor Lost, and uh, Hell or High Water, where they were not just bottle episodes, but they were real-time bottle episodes. Um, and I feel like with these hospital shows, these cop shows, you have a high tension already, right? So it's about finding the concept, finding the game that you're going to play. Uh, do you recall uh, conversations around anything like that, where you're working within a specific genre, like a hospital or a cop or a show or something like that? Well, um,
3: I don't. But I know this year, I'd never worked in a hospital show until this year mm-hmm. uh, on, on The Resident. And I realized that unlike certain sitcoms, a hospital show actually can be a bottle, yeah. because the life and death stakes are within the walls. Yeah. So so that's great for me, who didn't want to go to Atlanta and shoot at night. <laughs> I've come to the point my crits is terrible. But <laughs> I, I really don't like to be on set. And I really don't like to be on location. <laughs> So I thought, OK, why don't, I'm going to write a bottle for you. I called it a bottle, but I never started out to write the bottle. But I, I realized it's really more the, the, that particular type of show lends itself to that. Uh, but it was basically, it was called The Elopement. And there was like four stories, and they all run in. They all run together. But it, it, was,
0: it was a bottle. Right. But I think a hospital show lends itself to that. Yeah, the, the stakes are ever yeah. present. The stakes right. are very immediate uh, in that way. Yep. That's interesting. Uh, there were a couple other questions. Yes? Yeah, what are other considerations for writing a bottle episode, for turning your machine of a TV show into a one-act play? Uh, Are there creative, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit, but have there been times, that's a good one, I mean, say that on the microphone.
1: (laughs) Sometimes, um, you know, um, you have issues with your actor's availability, and um, you have to work around, um, you know, the jobs, sometimes they get jobs on... Movies that they'd really rather be doing than your TV show, and uh, um, they go off and do it, and so you find yourself, um, you know, just stuck with a certain group of people, and so a bottle show will develop out of that. Also, again, I'm sorry to say that money drives this a lot of times, but I've been in many situations where um, I've realized I'm short on an episode, or I feel like I'm going to be short in filming, and. It's getting toward the end of the schedule and there's no turning back. And so you sort of look around and say, okay, what sets are lit? What actors do I have here today? Who's got makeup on? And then where, what possible scene could I write? Um, this happened to me on Happen Leonard a couple of years ago. I really uh, there was a story that I knew because I'd been watching dailies, I knew it really wasn't clicking. So I thought it, I, I could cut this whole thing out. So it was the last half a day on the schedule. And I looked around, and I had four guest stars. And two of them I hadn't given very much dialogue because they couldn't really talk. And I had a living room that wasn't one of our stars' living rooms. And I just thought, wow, I have to write seven minutes of material with these people in this room. And I did it, because I had to. I was desperate and um, and got stuck on the set, which was not a, not a place a writer wants to be, because somebody might ask you to write something, actually. So got to go. Um, Were you happy with how that scene, that little storyline turned out? Yes, because I figured out a way to split it up into parts. Mm-hmm and it went down easier um, yeah. overall over the 43 minutes you know yeah. i had been thinking of it originally as a 7 minute you know block like you're watching your show wow this is really great <laughs> oh my god they're in a room <laughs> a those bunch people, of strangers. why am i looking at those people so it it worked out well but that's you know that's a for another discussion how to take disasters and turn them into something. Well I, but I think it's know. a
0: related discussion. I think it's an interesting one about how the sort of the machine of making television and the constraints that we f- all face on like every step of the way can actually lead to really interesting creative stuff. Um, you know, we can talk outside of bottles for a second, but what are some challenges that you all have faced on specific shows and how did it lead you to sort of do the math and find something even greater than anticipated?
3: Well, um, on Pitch, which is a baseball show, um, oh, oh.
0: <laughs> thank you. Um,
3: yeah, that, I love that show. Thank you. Um, we, it was about baseball. It was done with Major League Baseball. And this is something, actually, I think about, was thinking about Anthony when he was talking about my, the challenges and how he rose to the, the occasion in directing a bottle. Um, halfway through, and this was, this was a stare down between Dan Folgeman, who also created this is us, and they were going to cut off our money, and they said, you can't go shoot any more baseball in stadiums, which you know in the fifth episode and you're doing a baseball show, that's, that's just creatively a challenge. <laughs> um, yeah. and Dan I always had an idea for a bottle um, set during a rainout, which makes mm-hmm. perfect sense, that's right? Great. I know your characters, characters can go anywhere so um, uh, Dan said, "All right, well, we got to have it. We need it finished. We're gonna, but here's what we're gonna do. We're on the conference call with Fox. We're gonna, we're gonna do it next. We're gonna prove to you, even though we're five hundred thousand dollars over budget, we're gonna get it all back in one episode, and we're gonna get it back in the next episode." <laughs> and I'm looking at me. So we pulled up the episode, and a, a guy named Chris Koch. Was was it was scheduled to shoot the San Francisco episode? Was very excited about going on location in San Aww. Francisco, and um, said to Chris, "Hey, um, we're gonna do this bottle episode, and it's gonna be during a rainout, and there's gonna be a kangaroo court, and some maybe uh, some hitting between characters in a batting cage." Although, our whole we had a, we had built the whole underground stadium of Petco Park on a, the same stage as Glee at Paramount. So um, I tried to sell like that would be a reason to do it, but. <laughs> But he said, "Oh, good, because I, I really didn't want to go to San Francisco. My kids been sick. Um, this is perfect." And I think, as a director, like sometimes with writers, you kind of like like the challenge of it because you really do have to like, you have to find ways that you can't just normally lean on. Yeah. But it saved the rest of our season. We were able to That's go to San amazing. Francisco and shoot more baseball. That's really cool. Uh, it is. I mean, to that
5: point, I remember <clears throat> at the beginning of season two when Joe and Misha. Pitched to me the idea that they were writing one episode, a one woman show. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, yeah, right. Okay, <laughs> sure. Um, and it was that thing of, I think the challenge, especially when it came, it was the last episode we shot in season two. And like I said, we shot it and we only got three days because the studio wasn't giving us any more time or money. And by the time we got there with enduring all of, the, you know, the adjustments and schedule from the storms of the, the southeast region and all that, that really just throws your whole season yeah. up like a game of pixie sticks. And you're trying to figure out, like, okay, what do we do? And finding those solutions of trying to persevere. Um, you know, three days to shoot an episode, it was daunting. I mean, I think initially you're, you think the first thought, one set, one person, really? Wow, it's boring. <laughs> you know, um, but to realize that the challenge that came from that was the exciting part. And I felt like I got to do some of my best work <laughs> because it really forced me to really think and to dig and to find the ways of being inventive and 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 making this come alive. And, and it was such a special episode because, you know, even One Hour didn't give... Uh, the justice to really understanding learning and knowing about Harriet Tubman and yeah. all that she gave but the ability to break her down and humanize her in a way where we get to see someone who's a matriarch who's a legend and 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 see her fear see her you know go through the things that is, that's normal that we all go through really humanize her in a beautiful way and that was the fun part of i think really trying to to figure out how to achieve a special episode. Yeah,
0: that that's really neat. Did you did your approach to that episode change the way you might approach just a normal TV episode Everything. going forward?
5: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've always loved to even want to do theater and be on mm-hmm. the stage. I love going to the theater, but I've never directed it. And so mm-hmm. it was just the thing of like, this is really one person, <laughs> one yeah. stage. I had to keep saying that to myself. Um, <laughs> Uh, what am I going to do? And it was just, and I had no time to think about it. That was the other thing. You know, it was at the end of a season, we were all exhausted. You know, uh, it was just really finding and digging deep to, again, to continue to be that motivator Mm -hmm. and that cheerleader for everyone else to to finish and cross the finish line with the most, um, you know, same passion that you started with, you know, when we're all beat down and tired. Um, And to to, to create the safety net for this one person, this one actor. I told her when we Cast her. I mean I'm friends with Aisha but I told her I said you're going to come in here and cuz I knew about the episode before we started so when we were casting her I was like I want you to come into this audition and uh, kill it and knock it out of the park and and be able to read the phone book and and and, and be compelling yeah. you know because thinking about that one episode where she had to capture it and she did it with such grace and and it was just amazing I can't even begin to talk about it, because I'll get emotional. But it was just so awesome to see her fall into a space where I felt like Harriet really stepped down and, and, and wow. came and, and, and visited us on the set. Um, it was just the, it, beyond. I yeah. mean, she took what was given to her, the roadmap of the script, the support I gave her, and just knocked it out of the
0: park. Yeah, and that's what you get from an episode like this, right, is if you have a great actor, you want to let that person. Like, it's, it's like watching an action movie, even when it's just one person standing there talking. Yeah. Um, Michael, I'm curious about sort of going back to this idea of uh, mechanical challenges, things that uh, are outside the control, outside the storytelling uh, that you sort of had to deal with and, uh, on any of your shows, and then how you dealt with those creatively. Well, I, I have a director story you'll like or you'll hate. The, the, um,
4: the one that got away. We again it's not Boy Me's World, it's a girl world. Uh we were we were we had to do a bottle show uh um for reasons I, I again I would resist. But <laughs> the, the 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 uh show is called Game Night. And what it was was uh core cast in the house, in the living room set. And they're going to play games. But what the games lead to is a mother-daughter conflict, and that Riley doesn't want to be on Topanga's team. She wants to be on Maya's team. Topanga realizes I'm losing my daughter, blah. Easiest show, easiest script in the world. Um, I hired a first-time director, because it's a bottle show. And, and what could <laughs> So there's a line in the show where Augie and Ava, who, if you don't know the show, are six years old. And Augie and Ava are like an 85-year-old married couple, but they're six years old. And uh, they're playing a board game. And one of the other characters gets a house. And Ava turns to Augie and says, I want you to buy me a house. And (laughs) Augie says, get off my back. And, And so that's the line. The kids do the line. Beautiful. It was the the first thing we shot. I say, move on. Director says, and he's a lovely guy. I don't think we have it. And I go, no, no, I'm the one who says, I don't think we have it. And that's what I always say. I don't think we have it, but I think we have it. Because see, what happened was the audience laughed and it was a sharp laugh. It was one of these wonderful sharp laughs. So we have it and we need to move on. He said, let me just shoot it one more time. And okay, 40 minutes go by. That's one line, 40 minutes go by. I got three hours to shoot an entire show. I'm actually looking at my watch, 40 minutes go by. The producer of the show is a guy named Frank Pace. Frank Pace is a veteran, he's in New York shooting the Murphy Brown reboot now. Frank Pace does not suffer fools gladly. (laughs) And Frank Pace is looking at me, and Frank Pace guy talks like this, he talks like this a lot. And he says to me, I think we have it, too. <laughs> I think you should get out there. And I said, I don't think I can get out there because there's an organization called the DGA who won't like it if I go out there. We have, this goes on and on, we have about 50 minutes left to get about 20 pages of a show. And, and Frank comes over and says, the DGA called me. They want you to get out there. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, I put this, this show called Game Night, if you ever watch it in reruns, I put this thing, like, I was like the Tasmanian devil. And we got an entire show in about a half an hour. And, and it, can, it, can, it can absolutely get away through any series of mechanical flaws. The lovely thing about television is when you watch it, you know how you see all of these credits at the end and you think, how does this little half hour... Take this many people to do it. If one of those people does not do their job correctly, a show, be it a bottle show or not, will get away. <laughs> so it's worth watching the credits in, 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 in honor of those people.
0: Uh, I think about that, yeah. And John, I wanted to come to you because I think yeah. about like, Michael, you're working with children a lot. John, you were working with horses and stuff. Like, yeah. there's all this unpredictable, all these unpredictable moving parts.
1: I just remembered. Uh, this is—I'm sure this will come up later in the Nash Bridges. Uh, it, it's terrible to be on a panel and talk about another panel that you're going to be on later. It's like a sneak preview, um, though. It's fun. <laughs> speaking of animals, um, I, I'm just reminded that we we had to do a bottle show on Nash Bridges, and so I came in and I said, um, and in that show, Cheech's character had a private detective business on the side. So I, I walked in the writers' room and I said, "Okay, I've got an idea. There's a movie star chimp." I that, just watched this episode that gets away, and Cheech is hired to get the chimp, and the chimp is like you know is a movie star, so he's a real bad actor, and the name of the <laughs> episode was Get Bananas, and um, and so they bring the chimp in and they put the chimp in a holding cell in the police station. And Cheech interacts with the chimp, and how funny is that going to be? That's going to be hilarious. So, (laughs) it writes itself. Yeah, it writes itself. So, we wrote the script, and it was pretty funny, I have to say, um, for non comedy writers. (laughs) And uh, the whole thing went south because we delivered the script, and we were doing this episode in the first place. Going back to something I said earlier, Don was not available for whatever reason. Um, And he read the script. So he calls up, and he goes, uh, yeah, uh, the script is hilarious. It's really funny. There's only one thing wrong with it. Well, okay, what is it? That chimp would fall in love with Nash. We went, what? So all of a sudden, Don wanted to be in the episode, and he wanted the chimp to fall in love with him and not Cheech. So, So that episode, which started out as a chimp in a cage in a police station, turned out to be... The chimp was running all over San Francisco, and we, I mean, it cost a fortune to make that episode. God, it was crazy. Ridiculous. So nuts. Um, um, working there, with horses, though, is also yeah. challenging. I mean, any animal, right?
0: I, yeah. There are, I, I was looking at this, uh, there are sort of like scenarios <laughs> that bottle episodes fall into. Uh, the sinking ship scenario, the Groundhog Day loop. Uh, the locked in a room or locked on a plane, the diehard on a something. And, of course, there's the chimp in the jail cell scenario, which famously every series has done. Um, I want to wrap up by asking. Yes. I just wanted to, to. I remembered one. Actually,
5: it was actually a bottle episode. I did an episode of Community, which was called Epidemiology. Mm-hmm. It was the oh, yeah, Halloween yeah. episode.
0: The zombie episode. And
5: talk about challenges. You have all the egos of great talent in mm-hmm. one room the entire episode especially on that show yeah you know (laughs) normally when they all have their own you know moments right alone you know this was an episode where they all had to come together and work together day in and day out you know the few days that you get the few hours you get to to make a comedy um (laughs) uh and that was really interesting because you have the greats from like chevy chase Down to the young ones, you know. At the time, Donna Glover, who was really kind of beginning, and so you see all of this, and they're all amazing, and it's just trying to give attention to all of them because they all need to shine and they have their moments within the piece. Um, That was crazy because it was this thing where they literally didn't want to be there all day, you know, but they had to because they were just they were background in the scene when they were not speaking.
0: Oh, that's nuts! And that is, I mean, it's a thing we touched on again and again here that. When you get these powerhouse actors, yeah. when you get these amazing personalities, and they're inhabiting these characters, you want to see them together. But yeah, there are these these yeah. things that can get in the way. Uh, I do want to wrap up by asking you guys what you are watching on television these days. It does not need to be a bottle episode. Uh, <laughs> before I ask you that, I'll give you a minute to think about that. But tell me what you are working on right now. Um, what what are you enjoying working on right now, John? What's what's happening in your life? Um,
1: I am. Uh, Developing a new show at Netflix. Um, It hasn't been announced yet, but we start shooting on August 8th. And uh, uh, this morning before I came here, I was frantically uh, rewriting the outline for the pilot. Um, (laughs) And uh, it's a really cool show. I think you'll like it. It's kind of in the sci fi, um, supernatural, martial arts. Real people genre, <laughs> and um, I just finished working on Happen Leonard um, for Sundance Channel, which I loved. Uh, we wrapped up after three seasons, and um, what I'm enjoying watching right now is a, a show uh, from England called Detectorists. Has yeah. anyone seen it? Have you guys seen this?
0: It's a great show. It's, it's so on charming.
1: It's really, it's really wonderful. Yeah. I love it. So check that one out. That's a great recommendation.
0: Kevin, what are you working on?
3: This is where I end up en- envying everybody else's credits and work. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love Barry, mm-hmm. to answer your first question. I really, really enjoyed that this year. Um, I am back with Dan. I enjoyed working on The Resident. Dan Fogelman <laughs> asked me to come help him on This Is Us, so I'm on This Is Us. Mm-hmm. Heard him of it? This year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I deserve no credit for its success.
0: <laughs> but going so forward, forward all you, the credit.
3: you watch the change by the way if i'm involved give it one season (laughs) (laughs) Uh, michael i'm also
4: developing a new show at netflix Uh, it is a half hour coming of age comedy because i can't do anything else (laughs) (laughs) and uh, i'm watching killing eve uh, which is
0: terrific yeah, yeah, good one. Anthony, what is, what's on your schedule?
5: I am just completing the pilot to the TV series version of The Purge. Um, we're shooting in it, New Orleans um, for USA, um, just having done Unsolved, the Tupac and Biggie um, yeah. anthology. Um, and that's pretty much what I'm watching and and living right now. I have not <laughs> yeah. had a chance to see.
0: <laughs> did you have to do the deep homework? Like, did you have to go and watch the Purge movies and all yeah, this stuff? Yeah, I mean,
5: I'd seen every one of them, mm-hmm. um, so I did go. Back They're better than you think. And re- no joke. And review them and 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 look at them differently than yeah. I did as I think just watching them before I knew I was going to work on
0: them. Interesting. Well, that that should be cool. Look forward to it. Thank you guys all so much for being here. Please give a Thanks, round ben. of applause to all of our panelists. Thank you. Thank you all for coming out. Today's episode was recorded at the ATX Television Festival. If you like this release and are interested, please subscribe and download ATX's The TV Campfire podcast as they're releasing additional panels from the festival there. Stuff you won't hear here because we don't care what actors say, but they do, (laughs) and maybe you do. Next year's festival, which I hope you will attend, is June 6th through 9th, 2019. Please visit ATXFestival.com for information on badges and announcements about lineup, which I'm sure will be coming soon. Thank you for listening to the Writer's Panel. Tune in next Tuesday and every Tuesday for a brand new episode. And in the meantime, please subscribe and review the Writer's Panel on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app, And follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, just like it sounds. And let me know who you want to have on the show. The Writers' Panel is a co-production of the Forever Dog Podcast Network and the ATX Television Festival. You can listen to more Forever Dog podcasts at foreverdogpodcast.com. And keep up with the ATX Fest throughout the year at atxfestival.com. Thank you, and see you next week. Well, you'll hear me next week. Thanks for subscribing.
1: Forever.